When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian podcast. Hey, I am John Mackerel, uh, more formally known by my friends as Jay Mack. And I am Allison Smith. Uh, we don't have a nickname for me and I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> And we're your hosts for the Greek and Christian podcast. John, it's so great to have you back. Yes. Uh, if you all have been listening along, I was hosting solo this spring because, you know, just this minor thing called COVID happened. Yeah. Uh, so, John, what have you been up to? How have you been holding up? Yeah, doing all right. Tired of. <laughs> staring at a screen uh, all day long and interacting with everybody I know via mm -hmm. a screen. You know, uh, I miss being able to get up with people in person and hang out, but um, yeah, doing all right. How about you? Yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, as my audience knows, my husband and I are living with my in-laws right now in their basement. So it's yeah. the dream uh, <laughs> after college, living with your in-laws, uh, but you temporarily here. Yeah, because we're building a house. Um, so yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I wish our audience could see us right now. Um, I think it's very reflective of our personalities. So John right now is very professional in a button down shirt. He's looking very fratty Thank this you. morning. Thank you. You're Always welcome. Try. I try. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm sporting uh, COVID fashion. Uh, my working outfit is a sweatshirt and leggings uh, with my hair in a ponytail. So I think I'm looking very COVID srat this morning. There you go. Very, yeah. very comfortable. That's very sorority like. Yeah. Just comfort. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when you're working from home, you got to do what you got to do. But I really admire the way that you have kept things professional, John, throughout COVID. So hey, it makes me really want to step up my game a little bit. We put on <laughs> real pants. <laughs> really only have to look f formal from, uh, from the waist up. You know, that's the benefit. <laughs> So. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> well, uh, for our podcast this week, well, first of all, this is a new season, which is really exciting. Hello. I know. Um, and, you know, as John and I were talking about this season, we've really gotten a sense that, mm -hmm. you know, it's an understatement to say that a lot has happened in the last six months. We've got COVID, we've got campus shutdowns. I mean, many of you are kind of wondering what the heck is going to happen with campus? Things are changing almost yeah. every day with what our universities are deciding. Um, and then, you know, when I think back, I think about Memorial Day weekend, right? And during that weekend, George Floyd is killed by a police officer in Minnesota. Um, and because of that, there's many other acts of violence against the black community that are exposed. George Floyd's death really seemed like this tipping point in this long mm -hmm. line of violence against the black community. So if you were on social media, which I imagine 
most of you are, <laughs> you probably saw that it sparked this huge social media outpouring of advocacy, protesting, fundraising, calls to action. Um, and many of our Greek chapters nationally posted statements. Maybe your individual chapter posted something. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that our NPHC fraternities and sororities, our historically black fraternities and sororities, they have already had this deep and extensive history in leading the way for civil rights. Um, and during this time, they have continued and deepened their work through fundraising service and protesting. So I remember seeing like mm -hmm. many images of Alpha Phi Alpha brothers um, on that bridge in Selma um, mm -hmm. who were leading protests. And that was just a powerful image for me. The interesting thing, John, um, is right, we see our Greek orgs speaking out. Um, and yep. there was also this significant backlash um, yeah. as well. So uh, as historically white fraternities and sororities, and I, I want to make a note for our audience that we understand that our predominantly white Greek organizations, they do have students of color, but they were historically open to only white uh, mm -hmm. men and women. So we're going to refer to them as historically white fraternities and sororities in this conversation. Um, but right, we saw these posts that they were advocating advocating and raising funds. Um, but then we saw other social media accounts start exposing the issues of racism that are still prevalent in Greek life. Um, mm -hmm. So private text messages were exposed and put on social media uh, from fraternities where there were racist slurs used and offensive images. Mm -hmm. um, and then Snapchat videos surfaced of sorority women singing racist slurs or wearing blackface. Um, and so watching that, man, I mean, the hypocrisy just felt heavy. Mm -hmm. Right. Of there's even though there's this advocacy happening and fraternities and sororities speaking out in support of people of color, um, there's still this these racist attitudes happening behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and so then we have this hashtag that emerged: hashtag in accounts, hashtag abolish Greek life. Um, and I know, and maybe many of you all in the audience have seen these, um, I would imagine that you're like, oh yeah, I mean, my campus has their own Abolish Greek Life account. So we saw that over 30 campuses are experiencing the, these calls to abolish Greek life. Uh, we've got it at Duke, USC, Vanderbilt, many others. Uh, and while the call to end, these calls to end Greek life aren't new, uh, the most recent call has been fueled by the ways that the predominantly white Greek system has grappled with racism. So I think for me, John, you know, as I've been watching this all unfold is what are we to do as yeah. Christians who are members of fraternities and sororities, how do we respond to these calls to abolish Greek life? Is Greek life really unredeemable? Mm -hmm. um, I know. So that's what we're going to focus on this week. John and I are excited to talk about this issue together, um, to talk about should we abolish Greek life or, or do we advocate for it? What is the role of Christians in the Greek system? Um, and so John, you know, what do you think about all of this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just reiterate uh, what Allison said 
this is a heavy topic, you know? So if you're, mm -hmm. if you're turning in, if you're new uh, to this podcast or you were tuning in, had a little uh, afternoon free, we're going to do a little light listening. Uh, this may not be the podcast <laughs> that you were uh, hoping to listen to, but I think it's a good topic because it never really feels like the mm -hmm. right time or a good time to talk about these heavy topics. Um, but if we wait for the right time, then we just never talk about them. So totally. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about it. You know, we're just going to dive right in, um, acknowledge it for what it is. Um, second thing I'll say, I mean, you can't see Allison and I, but we are both white. We were also mm -hmm. part of an IFC fraternity and a, a Panhellenic sorority respectively. Um, and I would say both of us loved our Greek experience. Yeah. You know? um, and yet we've also experienced uh, some of the dark side of Greek life, mm -hmm. which we're going to get into uh, and acknowledge. And um, Allison also said it, I would say, this isn't the first time, you know, uh, the thing is, is that, um, you know, we've been working in and around Greek life, I guess, collectively now for, you know, almost 30 years between the both yeah. of us. And so uh, you see a lot happen over time. And so I, calls to abolish Greek life um, have been raised numerous times uh, mm -hmm. in the past. I would say anytime there's uh, an alcohol-related uh, or hazing-related accident or death, um, sexual assault case, racial incident, uh, there is a renewal of conversations about the Greek system uh, and right. this historic institutional system of Greek life. Um, and should we have it or should we not? Is it good or is it bad? Does it bring value to the university experience or does it actually detract from it? Uh, mm -hmm. Does it cause good or does it cause harm? Um, and this episode is going to be more of an introduction, sort of a, a flyover uh, of um, a lot of those different topics and kind of the positions of those who advocate and those who um, are proponents of abolishing the Greek system. Uh, but then we're going to get into the actual specific issue of, you know, racism in the Greek system and racially problematic things that happen in the Greek system and how we should respond um, mm -hmm. as Christians to those things. And so... Without further ado, I would say uh, I think there's two proponents or two sides of this issue, right? And we've set it up. There are those who advocate for the Greek system, and there are those who call for um, the abolition of the mm -hmm. Greek system to uh, stop it, to end it. Um, and I would say for those who, starting with those who advocate, the reasons why that people advocate uh, for Greek life, I'd say, number one, brotherhood and sisterhood right right uh, this idea of deep uh, friendships that last a lifetime you know uh, i can remember when i was going through uh when i got my bid to my chapter there was uh, an alumni that came and spoke to our whole fraternity specifically to our pledge class you know and he, this guy's 50 60 years old telling us you know how he still has friends uh, that were his fraternity brothers, you know, that have lasted for decades, you know, a lifetime. And they started during school. Um, mm -hmm. And so deep brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, number two, obviously, you've probably heard the statistics. If you're Greek, all the leadership and career development opportunities, you know, uh, there is a significant number of U.S. presidents uh, that were in fraternities. At one point, out of Fortune 500 companies, 43 of the top 50 were led uh, by Greek alumni. And yet, um, only 3% of the U.S. population uh, is made up of Greek alumni. 
And so you have this disproportionate, Greek alumni have this disproportionate mm-hmm. influence uh, on our culture and society through business and politics and those sorts of things. Um, and so there's tons of opportunities, you know, and tons with influence. Influence is a moral neutral, right? You can use it for good or you can right. use it for not good. <laughs> and so uh, I think that's a benefit that a lot of people list mm-hmm. out. Um, and third, I would say philanthropy and service. You know, uh, these organizations, fraternities and sororities raise awareness for important topics. Uh, they donate every year, thousand collectively, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, probably closer to millions. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. add all the national chapters together. Yeah. Um, and they devote uh, the same rate, hundreds of thousands of service hours uh, to these organizations. Um, and, and to all of that, I would say it's all true. You know, uh, I have experienced that, you know, I'm mm-hmm. still friends with, you know, my fraternity brothers. I'm an alumni now and we still get together for alumni events. We still get yeah. together for football tailgates, you know, weddings have become like the new formals. Uh, I guess <laughs> babies are like the new members uh, and we celebrate <laughs> those things and we still get together and, uh, and it's great. Like, I love the experience. I love the being a part of a fraternity uh, mm-hmm. when I was in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I relate with that too. I mean, um, you know, I'll kind of start with the macro piece of philanthropy and service. Um, the thing that strikes me, you know, being out of college a handful of years is that, you know, I've continued to volunteer after college. And when I talk to my peers, they're like, you volunteer? Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's just not as much part of your DNA or it, I mean, being in Greek life, it is part of your DNA to volunteer and outside of Greek life. I mean, people care about volunteering, but it's not as much of a second nature thing that like, oh yeah, I'm going to volunteer. It's just what I do. And so one of the things that I do is I volunteer for CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates, which is actually the philanthropy of a different Greek organization than my own. So Kappa Alpha Theta supports them. CASA benefits kids who are part of the child welfare system. So they're either, um, you know, part of an ongoing court case, but still with their families or they're in foster care. And so Theta supports this philanthropy. And just at their last convention, I mean, they announced that they were, they were giving millions of dollars to the CASA program, which is huge. Um, And so not only, are Greeks trained to give through their service, their time and their talents. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also trained in this idea of generosity that, that we give of our finances. Um, and I don't think that, you know, we should minimize that, um, that there's real impact. I mean, yeah. Sigma Chi, their national ph- philanthropy is the Huntsman Cancer Institute, which is in Salt Lake City where I live. Um, and they are giving millions of dollars every year to cancer research and cancer treatment. Um, so that's the macro piece for me. But then also, John, I mean, what you talked about, that community piece. I mean, there, I have never experienced, I mean, sort of in the church, but I think in Greek life, you know, I've never experienced the type of community where you just pick up with someone and you automatically have this connection with them. Like, I yeah. remember when I first accepted my bid for Pi Phi, I came in and people were just incredibly welcoming. And it was like, 
there was this barrier that broke down of that like weird get to know you phase that you sure. experience in most other communal things. It was something about like, we are united around, you know, being part of the same organization. And so, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, a woman in my pledge class, Hallie, I mean, we're, we were just texting yesterday, um, but her and I just started hanging out together, going to Qdoba and getting nachos. That was our jam in college. I mean, I think college students are a lot healthier today, <laughs> but that queso, man, that was legit. <laughs> and so I there think the way that you can just immediately connect with someone, even if you come from very different backgrounds, um, is pretty powerful in yeah. the Greek system. And, and it was a powerful place for me to share uh, my faith in that. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. But this begs the question, right? Okay, this is the, what's great about the Greek system, but if you're a member of a Greek organization, and certainly if you're not a member, um, you can see that there are things that are really broken um, about yeah. the Greek system. And that's where the abolish movement comes from. Um, what I think is fascinating about you know, this movement right now, John, is that, you know, a lot of the calls to end the Greek system or shut down chapters or abolish it have come from outside of the Greek system. But right now mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of this call from inside. So, yeah. um, you know, at Vanderbilt, for example, it was a lot of Panhellenic women, women from predominantly white Greek organizations who resigned and mass. Um, and so I think that's fascinating um, yeah. to see in this movement. But anyway, I mean, I think we can just go through and pick off some of the reasons why people say it. You know, the yeah. first one I think of is, is sexual assault. Um, yeah. I mean, this is something that's gained a lot of traction in the media within the last eight years, um, eight to 10 years um, of more and more reports becoming public. But it's estimated that one in three sorority women will experience sexual assault at some point while they're in college, which is actually higher than their non-Greek peers. So, I mean, depending on the study you look at, uh, you know, I yeah. saw uh, two to three times uh, more likely if you're a part of a sorority, you know. Um, right, exactly. And, it, you know, in my experience, I met many women who had dealt with sexual assault while they were in college. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you have alcohol and drug abuse. Um, in one study, they, you know, they went through, they, they followed people until they were 35, basically. And they found um, that for men, especially, who live at least one semester in a fraternity house, they have higher rates of binge drinking during and after college. So it's not something that mm -hmm. just ends when they graduate, but it, yeah. it's an issue that, that haunts them um, into their 30s. Um, yeah. And, and word to the wise, you know, uh, if you think that uh, you're just going to change your social habits, you know, uh, when you graduate, you know, like, hey, when I graduate and get a job or, you know, married, settle down, everything, like I'll get my act together. Walking across the stage does nothing <laughs> like to, right. to change like social habits and everything. Um, and then, you know, you have hazing, which John, you mentioned, I mean, you know, alcohol related deaths especially during hazing are often 
what is critiqued about about Greek life. But then you also have some of these critiques that are are really coming to light right now or that we're really mm -hmm. focused on. And you know, the first one is this kind of idea of classism or the the inequality with socioeconomic status in Greek life. And I mean, it's a reality that the Greek life is far more accessible for students who mm -hmm. are middle to upper class than students with lower socioeconomic statuses. I'm not saying, I mean, there are students who come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds who are involved in the predominantly white Greek system, um, but it is much more difficult. So, I mean, you know, I, my grandmother paid for my dues and that's evidence of my privilege in the background that I come from. Whereas I had sorority sisters who many of them were working two to three jobs to pay for college and for Greek life. Um, and their experience was vastly different um, than mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dang. And that is just the nature of dues um, for organizations and chapters, even though it right. varies chapter to chapter um, for those that have high dues, it's just, uh, only accessible to those who have the finances to resource that kind of involvement, you know. And so Certainly. that's one of the critiques of the Greek system is that it's only yep. accessible uh, to those who have pre-existing resources and funds. Right. And then finally, we get to the, you know, I think big topic right now or the one that has really spurred a lot of the abolished Greek life movement, which is racism. Um, and so we're going to explore this more in depth in our next episode. But you know, for predominantly white Greek chapters, we were founded at a time when universities only allowed white students. And so from our very beginning, I mean, we, we were white organizations, um, but even after universities became integrated, many of our chapters had exclusionary policies where we only accepted white Anglo-Saxon students, and we only accepted people who were Protestant. Um, and so from the beginning, whether we had this official policy or not, um, we were white organizations. Um, and now, I mean, Greek life has been integrated since the 60s, um, not everywhere in the country, <laughs> but, you know, we, we've seen things become more diverse, yet there are still these racist incidents that happen um, and people of color within the Greek system. Um, I think everybody has a story of whether it's a microaggression they experienced or outright racist attitudes or biases. Um, and, you know, every year there's a news headline about whether yeah, it's a racist it. theme party, you know, or a video that was captured. Like I think of the Oklahoma fraternity that was captured on video of singing a song with the n-word in it and it had been part of their chapter tradition for years um, to sing this song together yeah which uh if we are humble which again this is a greek and christian podcast so we're coming right. at this as followers of jesus right. uh we one i think we shouldn't be surprised by this like right. if you're a follower of jesus it should be, you should know that like sin and brokenness is part of what it means to like be human, uh, that that exactly. comes out. And we shouldn't be surprised that those things are manifested in some of these larger systematic issues like mm -hmm. drug abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual assault, uh, racism, and those sorts of things. And so one, you know, I think we just, if we're humble, 
we should admit that like these are true. These are uh, right. statistical scientific studies uh, acknowledging some of the patterns uh, that are emerging from these social groups. Yeah, so I think, you know, we're aware of this brokenness that exists. We've experienced it. But then I think for those of us who are in the Greek system, experience these really great, amazing, beautiful things about Greek life as well. Um, and so what I'm struck by, John, is I've, as I've watched social media, um, as I've engaged personally with it, right, and paying attention to the feelings that come up in me and then reading articles, is you know, we have these really interesting responses, whether we find ourselves resonating more with this advocate camp or this abolish camp. Um, and so, you know, for people who are, are sitting in more of, I'm going to advocate for the Greek system, we shouldn't abolish it. You know, kind of the, the darker side of that is that maybe we tend toward individualism in that where, you know, when we're sitting in the advocacy place, we might get into this trap of thinking, oh, it's just a bunch of bad apples. Maybe it's not a systemic problem. It's just more of these individual problems. And, and honestly, we see Greek chapters take that approach. We see universities take that approach, right? So when a racist in incident happens on campus, rather than the university examining, well, what's going on? What's wrong with our system? Um, they move into protective or defensive mode that, oh, it's not a problem with the university. It's a problem with that individual. And so we're going to kick them out and the problem is solved. And so I think what happens is that we can fall prey to this defensiveness when we, when we only look at Greek life through the lens of advocating for it, um, where we only talk about the benefits. I think right now for people who are advocating for Greek life, um, it feels actually shameful to talk about it in this weird way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I noticed that in myself when there's been these calls to abolish Greek life, you know, I've really reflected like, well, is that how I should be feeling? Is that how I should be acting? Um, and so I've just kind of pulled back and been silent about it because I don't totally know what to say. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe a lot of you in our audience feel that way too of like, you don't feel, you don't feel like you should leave. You know that there are these benefits. You, you sense that Greek life can be redeemed, um, but there's that real fear of speaking about it right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and where I would say uh, those who are advocating for Greek life and the benefits of Greek life, you know, um, like you said, I, I do think it sort of tends towards uh, individualism and the idea individualism in the sense that it's just a few bad apples that are spoiling the bunch sure. and so the answer is right like you said it's either drop the individual the person um or drop the individual chapter like close the chapter down right solve the solve the problem you know right um i would say those uh as i've kind of looked at it and examines uh the people that are calling for uh you know abolishing the greek system many of them have tended towards universalism you know mm. so uh individualism says every chapter is unique you can't lump them all together universalism says every chapter is the same you know mm -hmm. uh, this is a sy systemic issue it's not just a few bad apples um it's the the system it's the way uh, the processes you know the way about we go um, recruitment and rush uh, the system of governance, uh, it's dues, it's the parties and the way that we party, it's the new membership processes. Like these things are um, not solving problems, they're creating problems. Right. Um, 
and I think you mentioned it earlier, you know, uh, historically in the past, a lot of the critique and a lot of the calls to abolish the Greek system have come externally outside mm -hmm. of the Greek system. Um, now it's unique that uh, a lot of those are coming from form, former brothers and sisters who were calling from it from the inside right. of the Greek system and chose to drop their chapter. And I just think it's a unique shift where historically it was when a um, negative incident happened, whether it was a racial thing or a sexual assault or alcohol related accident, the answer was, you know, um, drop the individual. Mm -hmm. um, now it's shifted towards individuals dropping the chapter. Right. You know? So it's not the chapter dropping the individuals and kicking them out and saying that person was broken. Now you have groups of individuals who were dropping the chapter and say, no, the chapter is broken. The system mm -hmm. is broken. The system is broken. We just need to shut it down and, and end all of these bad things. I think that's, those are the two responses at play. Yeah. So the question for us is, how do we, as followers of Jesus in the Greek system, respond to a right. broken system and culture? And maybe, uh, you know, more interestingly, how does God respond yes. to broken systems and cultures? And once we know how he responds, then we can get some clarity on what should we do where right. we're at? Yep. Yeah, I think that's really good. Because I think for us... That's the key. As Christ followers, we need to continually ask ourselves, how does Jesus respond to this? How does God respond to this? You know, our goal is to follow him, not yep. to follow the whims of the culture around yes. us, but to follow him. Yep. Social <laughs> so, media should not be driving your response as a right. Christian uh, to oh, these yeah. issues. Like, yeah. we need to crack open our Bible, uh, look at yep. examples. We need to pray. We need to uh, seek the Spirit's guidance. Uh, that That is our role as Christians in the Greek system. And that's the question that we're going to be asking. That's right. So I think we need to take a quick break, kind of do a little free refresh before we get into this. Um, and then, then we'll get right into how does God respond? Do you want to learn more about how faith and Greek life intersect? This September, Greek IV is launching The Greek Gathering, a national three-week Bible study for Greeks. For one hour each week, Greeks from across the country will be gathering over Zoom to talk about how to thrive in our faith in the Greek system. And you know what the best part is? One of the leaders is your very own host of the Greek and Christian podcast, me! I mean, maybe that won't be the best part, but it will probably be fun to meet me in real life along with other fraternity and sorority students. To learn more and to sign up, head to greekiv.org and click on the events tab. The link will also be in our show notes, so make sure to check it out and sign up for the Greek gathering today. All right, so we are back from our break, and um, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I was out, you know, for a walk, and I was praying to God about it because I, I was really yeah. grappling, like, God, what do I do with this? Like, should I like? is it the right call for me to like disaffiliate for my organization? Should I quit my yeah. job with Greek and varsity? You know, <laughs> definitely having one of those dramatic moments no. and well, maybe not dramatic. Totally. I mean, it, it was, these are legitimate questions that we should be asking ourselves. And, you know, as I was praying, I was just, you know, talking to God really honestly about it and like, God, I just really want to know what you think. And um, the scripture of Micah six, eight came to my mind and really Micah six, you know, six through eight. Um, and it, what Micah is doing, so Michael, Micah is a prophet, you know, God rose up 
prophets, uh, people who would point his people back to him. These people who God raises up to bring about change or to bring people back yep. to him, they're people who are in the system. They're not yep. generally people who are outside of it. They are people who are in the system. Um, and so Micah is one of those prophets. So in this situation in Micah, we have, you know, the Jewish people who are typically the people who are oppressed, but now they have become the oppressors. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happened with this system. The system is meant to bless the whole world. And as it's, you know, become broken and, and has spiraled, it's now oppressing people. And so God raises up this prophet Micah to draw his people back to him. Um, and so in this chapter of, of Micah chapter six, um, we see the prophet saying like, what does God want from us? What does God actually want in our worship? And he goes with this whole list of, you know, sacrifices and, you know, oil and calves, which really, if I translate it to our experience, you know, Micah is posing this kind of hypothetical question, like, does God want our stuff? Not really. What God is pleased with, and this is what it says here in Micah 6, 8, he has shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And as I was ruminating on that, that was the scripture. I kept like repeating it in my head and asking God what he meant by it. He's saying like, Allison, you are part of this system. And my call for you is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, right? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think as I kept reflecting on that, you know, we have these two camps of advocate for abolish or abolish. And I would say abolish sits in the, you know, they are predominantly more about yeah. justice, which is good. Justice is good and right. Um, but if we only had justice without mercy, right? And mercy, let me unpack that a bit. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So basically not getting the punishment that you deserve. If we had justice without mercy, that would be a scary place. Like no yeah. one, no one would be spared. We are all culpable, you know? And so that's kind of a scary place to sit. Um, but then on the other side of this advocate camp, a lot of times they're all about mercy, but yeah. not really pressing into justice or really critiquing the system that they're a part of. And so when you have mercy without justice, that's weak. Passive. It's weak. It's, it, it, yeah, passive. It's anemic. Um, you know, yeah. it, it lacks credibility in a lot of ways. I mean, mo totally. both are horror shows. When you only have justice without mercy, it's horrifying. When you only have mercy without justice, it's horrifying, right? And so God tells us, both act justly, love mercy, and finally walk humbly with your God. And I think what that speaks to is, Allison, keep looking at the state of your heart. Keep looking at how you are part of this. Like, yes, critique the system, but also look at yourself and critique yourself and present yourself to be transformed. Um, that's the only way <laughs> that we can redeem the system and see redemption in ourselves as if we allow God to transform us and to make us into people who walk humbly with him so that we can act justly and love mercy and bring transformation to these broken systems. Totally. And I mean, and that was the major message of like, of all the prophets was essentially like, hey, the, the root of the issue is you. <laughs> like it, right. you have a heart problem 
uh, and what needs to happen. Like it's not solved by laws or rules or, you know, more education, you transformation, you actually need a new heart, you know, that, Mm -hmm. and along with Micah, there's Jeremiah who says, you know, one day God's, God's going to write the law on your heart. You know, Ezekiel says that he's going to replace this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's the, um, it's the birthplace of transformation is within us, us Mm -hmm. humbly, humble, examining our own hearts and inviting God to transform us. Um, And I would say, yeah, um, it's not people who transform systems. It's transformed people who transform systems. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, say that again. That was good. I like that. Say that again. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not just people who transform systems. It's transformed people who transform systems. That's good. (laughs) There's a quote, famous quote, GK Chesterton, who was like a Christian author thinker. Um, there was a news article that, um, was asking the question, what's wrong with the world? And Chesterton's response, he wrote back into the newspaper. His simple response is, what's wrong with the world? I am. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the, that's the humble response that, that we have to have right. is that yeah. we can't just look at a single individual that made that racial yep. uh, comment or that's perpetuating, you know, uh, sexual assault or whatever and say it's them. And if we just drop them, um, then everything will be good. Um, because it's, it's all of us. Like we're all susceptible to it, even the best of us with the best of intentions. And yet, you know, it's not just, um, the individuals, it's also the system, you know, and the reality is even if you wipe out like corrupt systems and you abolish them and you take them off, they just re-manifest, they just reappear in different ways. Yeah. So I, I think that's part of the, you can, the, the point of it all is you can't just focus on, on one thing. Like how do we address right. these problems that we hear about? You know, yeah. if you just focus on the system, you know, you're ignoring the fact that broken systems tend to, you know, either continue in some way or they just re-manifest uh, right. because they're built off of broken people, you know? And so it's not a silver bullet. <laughs> like it doesn't answer right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but yep. if you just focus on people, then you ignore the powers that the, the system has on, you know, reinforcing broken behavior. Totally. So I think, you know, where do we go from here? Some initial like next steps. Um, I, I love the, what you said, the invitation to justice and mercy and that yeah. you can't have either or, you know, and you can't just address the system and likewise, you can't just address the individuals. You need both at play. Right. And so for the people that are calling to abolish the Greek system, I'm totally with you. Like affirm their call for justice. Like these yeah. statistics about sexual assault and abuse, drug abuse and racism and all of those things, like we as followers of Jesus should be bothered by that. Like we should be yeah by those things to not be is not loving it's passive right. negligent you know uh, we should seek um systematic reform and to make a difference and yet to those same so i, I think that's an affirmation 
uh, for people who are calling to abolish. I would say the invitation, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're thinking and thinking like, man, this system just needs to go. Uh, maybe I need yeah. to read chapter. The invitation would be uh, to mercy. What right. about, what does it look like to love mercy? What about your brothers and sisters, the individuals, you know, uh, what does it look like to love them? Yeah. What it, and not just the good ones, but the ones that are singing the racist song, the ones who right. are perpetuating uh, the brokenness in your chapter. You know, it's like Jesus is called to love those people, love our enemies. There's no one beyond redemption. Love them and transform because transformation is the answer. You know, what would it yeah. look like for you to be a redeeming presence in your chapter? And like Allison said, because it, in biblical history shows that it usually comes from the inside out. God calling right. these people that are inside to bring transformation from the inside right. out. Yep. Yeah. I think that's so good, Janet. I, I think that as I was praying about it, you know, God has called me to this Greek system. And I think that's part of our invitation. You know, when we are called to be part of the Greek system, to sit in that calling and to respond to that and say, yes, God, you have called me here and I'm going to stand firm in that calling that you have for me, that, that you've placed me here as one of those insiders into the system. And what would it look like for me to be one of those prophetic voices like Micah, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel um, in that place? And so I think some of that is to affirm the places that are good, you know, to affirm that totally. with love and to say like, this is part of how God has created systems in our world to be good and beautiful. There are things about Greek life that reflect that good and beautiful image of God. And we can own that. And I, I think we need to affirm that. And what would it look like for us to say, this is the culture I want to affirm and reinforce mm -hmm. in my chapter. Um, so that that's one piece. But I, I also think the invitation though is to to critique, to not be blinded by this and, you know, to sit like, well, if I'm part of the Greek system, I just have to affirm it. And I don't want to look at what's broken. I think we do need to be people that, you know, can confidently critique the systems that we're part of. Again, that's what the prophets did. I mean, it wasn't like Micah was sitting there and saying like, oh, I'm not part of this, you know, kingdom. He was part of the kingdom of Judah. I'm not part of this kingdom of Judah again. I'm going to abandon them. I mean, that's actually what Jonah kind of did. If you want to look back at his story, I, we don't have time to unpack it. But, um, you know, Micah didn't do that. Micah said, like, I'm part of you. I am here. I'm part of your, I'm part of your people group. And I'm critiquing the system and telling you to stop oppressing people. But then I'm also helping you know how to be restored to God. And so I, I think that's the invitation as well for this advocacy camp is to step into um, acting justly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Uh, you know, the invitation, when we see good, we should advocate for it. We should yeah. be the biggest proponents and, and cheerleaders. And yet at the same moment, when we see negative, uh, we should seek to abolish it. Like that aspect right. of it, cut it out. <laughs> Say, like if people are suggesting a racist theme party, hey, that's a bad idea. Let's be creative right. and do this. Uh, but it's always an invitation to walk humbly with God and to love those yes. around us, you know, regardless. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you know, the invitation on both sides is how are we continuing to seek out the Lord in the midst of that, you know, in our individual responsibilities to the communities that we're part of, right? We're, we're, we belong to communities. We belong to our Greek community, yet we're also this, this individual who has responsibility as well. And so, um, you know, just like what John and I talked about, how are we devoting ourselves to scripture, devoting ourselves to prayer so that we can hear the voice of God, that we can be transparent with ourselves and our own sinful brokenness and what we're bringing <laughs> to these organizations. How are we doing that? Whether we, you know, tend towards the abolish side or tend towards the advocate side, how are we continuing to present ourselves to God to be renewed and transformed by him so that we can transform and renew the systems and structures around us? It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. So, well, and next episode, yeah. hey, uh, that's kind of the broad uh, overview. Um, yeah. We're going to dive into the particular topic of racism in the Greek system. And how should we as followers of Jesus respond to the racially problematic things that we see and hear? Yeah. Yep. And I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great conversation and I'm excited for, we're going to have some special guests coming up in a few weeks. And so really encourage you guys to keep tuning in uh, to our episodes uh, going forward. Um, yeah. So it's great conversation, John. Glad we can dig into these hard issues. Cause yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times I think Christian culture in general wants to avoid these hard topics and yeah. You know, I want to be a person that engages with them. And I want our organization, Greek InterVarsity, to engage with hard conversations. And so I'm, I'm glad that we're engaging with these difficult topics. Believe it. We're doing it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, man. <laughs> cool. If you like what you heard on the Greek and Christian podcast, make sure to subscribe so that you get access to all of our most recent episodes. Also, give us a rating so that we know what kind of content you want to hear. If you want to stay connected to what Greek InterVarsity is up to all across the country, follow us on Instagram, at GreekIV. There you'll see posts from students who are involved with Greek InterVarsity on their campuses who are trying to live out their faith in their Greek chapters. The Greek and Christian Podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus or partner with us. Visit greek.intervarsity.org.